Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Rebecca Sofer and Gabrielle Berkner. Rebecca's the co-founder and CEO of Modern Loss. She's a former producer for the Peabody Award-winning Colbert Report and an alumna of the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Rebecca has spoken nationally on the themes of loss and resilience at venues including Chicago Ideas Week, HBO, the Commonwealth Club, and Kripalu, and contributes regularly to books, magazines, and other media. Rebecca lives in New York City and the Berkshires with her husband and two children. Gabrielle Berkner is the co-founder and executive editor of Modern Loss. She's a graduate of Northwestern University's Medal School of Journalism and writes regularly for national newspapers and magazines. Gabrielle has served as the managing editor at the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, director of digital media at The Forward, and features editor at The New York Sun. And Gabrielle lives in Los Angeles, they're bi-coastal, with her husband and two children. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us on the podcast today, Cheryl. It's a real honor to speak with you. Oh, I'm very, very happy to have you. And um, I, it's always nice, too, when I've at least briefly met uh, my guests. I met you, Rebecca, at that Commonwealth Club um, evening, which was fabulous and wonderful. With, oh, thank um, you. Kelsey Crow, with Kelsey Crow and Lucy Clonacy, who've also been on my show at, at other moments. So, um well, they're the it's best. Nice to have you. So you have there they are. people. And I, I want to say your book is the best. I just enjoyed it so much. Um, oh my gosh, that's because, so wonderful. I mean, honestly, my reaction is is just completely real because this is the first time that we're hearing from people who have actually read the book because it's been <laughs> just part of us and our part of our minds for so long. It's it's really amazing that it's out in the world and people are now consuming it and not wanting to throw it in the trash. So thank you. <laughs> oh, no, not throwing it in the trash. Going to recommend it. And, um, you know, I guess, I guess what I want to say about it in that way is that uh, I, as I was reading, uh, every other minute I was thinking true in my head. True. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. true. You know, it's just a very, very real um, book, so beautifully written by all the different authors that you welcomed into the book, and I really mm-hmm. appreciate that. So I, I'm well, sure it's going to make a big, a big difference for people. Oh, well, thank you for those, those kind words. It definitely was a, an intentional process that we went through when we were putting the book together. Um, and this is Rebecca, by the way, in case I know that you're <laughs> we're, we're oh, yes. disembodied now. Yes. So I just wanted to make sure you knew who, who this was. And, uh, you know, it was definitely an intentional process. It was a very long process. We, you know, always knew that we wanted to do a book when we launched Modern Loss. But 
I feel like sometimes you have a project and you're like, let's get out with the book. Great. But this, we knew that we didn't want to write a memoir as our first book. We wanted to do a communal project because that's what Modern Loss is. It's community. It's not about my story. It's not about Gabby's story. It exists because of what we went through. But beyond that, it's about everybody else's ability and space to share their own story about what it's like to live with loss at any point in time after losing somebody and also to, you know, feel drawn out by those stories as somebody who might feel isolated or someone who might feel like they're trying to support somebody who's had a loss, but they have absolutely no idea how. Um, yeah, so we, we really wanted to be a communal project, and, and I think that we've really pulled it off. We, we gave ourselves a few years to do the litmus test to see what type of pieces we were publishing on the site, because we have a very robust website. We've published hundreds and hundreds of pieces of personal essays, of resource pieces, of how-tos, um, of advice columns, and uh, since we launched in November 2013, and through the years, we saw certain themes popping up over and over and over again. And they were umbrella themes. Let's say they were themes about intimacy or about inheritance or about identity or about the effect of um, time on loss. And so that's how we decided to divide the book, which is by experiences rather than chronology or type of loss. That I, I I really appreciated that too, and I just want to say, although I really see what you're saying about um, the impact of of a sense of uh, uh, wide community all talking about loss, and that's really reflected in the book. I did appreciate that it was sort of glued together by your stories, you and Gabrielle's stories. Um, that that you know, you have that kind of um, doorway in because of your own experiences, and then you shared so many different types of experiences that that really uh, moved me as well, just the, the various ways that people have had loss and relate to loss. That was yes. very appreciated. Thank and you. some subjects that um, I do want to get to talking with both of you, um, I know Gabrielle's not quite here yet, but uh, with both of you about your own experiences, mm-hmm. um, because that's so much a part of how you ended up doing what you do. Mm-hmm. But, um, but for the moment, let's, let's talk about all the things in the book that don't usually get talked about, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, oh my gosh, it's such a relief when people do. For instance, there's an article uh, by a woman whose husband has has died talking about what she called sexual bereavement. Yeah. And, um, you know, having been a pretty pretty young person when my wife died, um, I I know exactly what she's talking about. And nobody talks about it. Exactly. Right. Uh, People want to, you, know. you know, they assume you, you're a widow and, um, oh, it's so sad. You miss the companionship and, of course, your spouse and your partner. But, like, no one talks about, you know, I also really miss having sex with them. And I would like to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and also just that, you know, it, 
for me anyway, grief was an extremely open place. And when you're open, very open, you know, mm-hmm. ripped open, but oh, still open. I remember having a lot of sexual feelings, mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. usual. Yeah, talks about you're that. really cracked you know, open, right? Grief really. I've gone right out of the gate, right into the you know the taboo subject, but um, the no, book let's is like it. that. <laughs> you know, and I appreciate that. That um, you know, you can read a piece. Um, uh, piece is about lying and not telling. You know, um, kind of making up stories about the dead person, so you don't have to really talk about the the fact that they're dead, you know, all kinds of things that that are perfectly natural, but that are not known to the non-grieving world. Exactly, right. It's like you're just, what we're doing is really pulling the curtain back, right? Like the Wizard of Oz is pulling the levers (laughs) on grief, and we're seeing what the wizard looks like. And the wizard is like, some person who is going to great lengths to pretend like he has his act together all the time, like he's totally fine, like he doesn't miss, you know, having sex or feeling com- complicated emotions um, regarding the person that they lost uh, or, you know, um, struggles with the inheritance process, which people don't really want to talk about unless it's a big story that involves a lot of money and it's really juicy and it's printed in the tabloids. Um, you know, there's a lot of really, there's a lot of subtleties. There's a lot of shades of gray in, in loss. Um, and they touch every single aspect of your life because you continue to live every aspect of your life after you lose somebody. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to spark a conversation that is really only had among, for the most part, right? among people who have had grief in their lives. Yes. And um, I was also uh, very captivated by the ways that, you know, in a way, of course, I I was very struck by the title of all your work, which is Modern Loss. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. But uh, in a way, grief is universal. On the other hand, it's so specific um, the things people did to get from one moment to the next are so individual. And uh, your book really captured that because it was a group of, uh, you know, a whole compilation of very personal pieces of writing. Um, but somehow in that specificity, I felt as if it was um, almost universally applicable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We definitely feel like this book is not just for people who have had loss in their lives. We feel like this book is for people who have had loss, who have not had loss, who want to support someone, who like really good storytelling. I mean, the stories are really compelling. If I had not heard of Modern Loss, which at this point is really hard to fathom because it's been so integrated in my very being for the last several years, I would be really interested in someone gave me this book and said, read it. It's really interesting. I would really be drawn in. I really would be. And I'm not talking, like, this is not me, Rebecca, talking about her own writing. I contributed a lot of pieces to this book, as did Gabby. But 
the majority, you know, of the other pieces are from these incredible contributors, and some of them are people you've heard of. Uh, there is um, CNN has a show called Reliable Sources, which is pretty terrific, and the host, Brian Skelter, who's the former media reporter at the New York Times, he wrote this terrific piece about losing a father figure after he lost his own dad. Um, you know, he was kind of this guy's protege at the New York Times, and he died, and he talked about how... He realized how he was so grateful that he'd become a Gmail hoarder, and his wife always made fun of him and was like, your inbox is a disaster. You never want to get rid of anything. And he finally realized after he lost somebody that, oh, thank God I hoard this stuff because now I can conjure David up at any point in time, even if it's just a silly little email, because it gives me a little piece of him. It gives me a little reminder of the essence of him, and it makes me really smile. Um, we have a piece by Amanda Palmer, who's a very famous singer. Of uh, She had a group called the Dresden Dolls and now does various really terrific, um, terrific musical projects. She wrote a piece about losing her best friend um, and the effect that that had on her. And she was heavily pregnant when she lost her best friend. We have a piece by a WNBA all-star named Shamik Holdslaw about how she struggled with um, mental illness after losing her grandmother, who was, you know, her primary caretaker. And we have a really compelling piece by um, Kim Goldman, who is the sister of Ron Goldman, who you might remember from the O.J. Simpson yes. trial. Absolutely. And I was very, very moved by all of those. And, and right. I mean, I, these are just I, like I these people. I caught unaware in the middle that it was her when I figured out it was her. I know, and so that's the whole point. It's not to be sensationalistic. It's not to be like, oh, here it is, like Kim Goldman's story. She's just placed as a byline among all these other people. And a lot of these people have bylines who you're like, oh, I've never heard of them. That's because, well, that person is a hairdresser in Worcester, Mass., who just has this really, really amazing story that you have to read. And so that's what's so meaningful. Oh, I love that that, story, and especially because she... She touched the class aspect of grief. You know, I can't go on a retreat. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that was very important. Yeah. Yeah. We really wanted to um, make sure that this was not, you know, MFAs writing about loss. We were very clear that, you know, Gabby and I are both, you know, like white Jewish women who met when they were living in Manhattan on the Upper West Side, which is a really great existence. Um, And it also has a lot of nuances to that existence. But we don't know anybody else's experience. And so we wanted the book to encompass that. We didn't want it to just be professional writers on loss. We wanted it to be writers of all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different sexual orientations. Um, and and, and I, I really do think that we, we achieved that. I mean, it, it was, and I, I feel confident saying that because we spent a lot of time trying to make sure that we did. Well, and uh, as somebody who is, um, is a lesbian, um, it really stands out uh, to read a compilation book that includes that voice because it's actually pretty unusual and very appreciated. Yeah, um, did you read that? There was, there there was a wonderful piece yeah. about, um, by, was it Eileen Smith, about the would-bees, about her, yes. her partner, her long-term, her long-time partner, and they finally ended their relationship, and that feeling of, 
where do you, what do you, like, where do you go with a grief where you don't have, like, a natural place for it? Because her longtime partner, she had been very close to her father, and they broke up, and so she, you know, had to break up with the dad, as one eventually does when you go through a breakup, and she found out that the right. father passed away, and she had to grapple with her grief over this man where she did not have space to reach out to her former partner and grieve with her. And there's also an aspect of not being able to, not having words to describe who it is that you've lost. It can really exactly. get tangled. What's the word? Um, you know, I've, I've had that experience. Um, well, it's about time for our first break. So when we get back, let's talk some about, um, you know, how your own experience and how you got from that that moment where uh, we lose to this passion that is modern loss. Uh, let's talk about that when we get back. And listeners, you'll find links to my, to my website, social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Modern Loss, go to modernloss.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. 
You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Rebecca Sofer and now Gabrielle Berkner, her co-author of Modern Loss, has joined us. Welcome, Gabrielle. Thanks so much for having us. I'm very pleased to have you. Um, before, before the break, I mentioned that I'd really like to kind of give you a chance to share your own stories. I know the book, uh, as, as Rebecca mentioned, um, you wanted it to be a community, a reflection of the community you've built, which it certainly is. But I also think your own uh, kind of pathways to what you're doing um, have a lot of meaning and power. Um, maybe, Gabrielle, you could, you could start and just uh, tell people a little bit how you came to be doing this work, which many find unusual. Not me, but, <laughs> you know, many do. Sure. So, so when we founded the website, as you know, about four years ago, and it really, at that point, wasn't about us. We wanted to create a platform where we could help shape and amplify other people's story. So what's really different about this book for us is we really had the opportunity um, through our introductions to the chapters to go deep on our own stories. And my story is that when I was 24, my father and stepmother were murdered in a home invasion in Sedona, Arizona, where you definitely don't think about this happening. Um, And... Um, I was in the newsroom. I was, of course, my job was writing obituaries at the time at a local newspaper because you really can't make this stuff up. And all of a sudden, at age 24, a couple years out of college, I was thrust into um, adulthood, really, for the first time with police and prosecutors and medical examiners and mortuaries. And I just had... No, nothing in my experience up until then had prepared me for everything that came next, um, both the first year, um, which was really traumatic. My body and brain were getting used to the idea of my dad not being there, of my stepmother not being there, of this happening at someone, uh, someone else's hands. And it was, there was a lot of trauma that first year, but there was also a lot of cushions of the first year which, um, you know, people bring casseroles and there's a shiva and if you're in other faith traditions, there's weight and, um, you know, people are always calling in and ch- call, calling on you and checking in and making memorial donations and I actually found the second year after this happened a lot harder than the first. The first year mm-hmm. felt like pure trauma but there were a lot of those cushions um, and there was also a lot to do in terms of, you know, you pick out a headstone, you think about the memorial, there are Jewish morning rituals or whatever morning rituals you follow. But the second year really felt like pure grief. Um, and Rebecca and I met a few years after that. And, you know, when it, you're, still, you're still processing, you're still living with that loss. Um, so that, that's really my story. I, I appreciate that you're kind of um, alluding to the the long range 
impact of loss, you know, I uh, I lost my wife in 1995. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. A very long time ago, and continues to, that experience continues to be laced through my life, and and uh, there's an evolution. Uh, mm. It's not over after a year. It's not over after a lifetime. Uh, obviously, yeah. uh, uh, obviously, um, I have a much different relationship to that loss than I did early on, but nonetheless very impactful in my life and uh, I think your book did capture that and you're capturing it and saying you know the second year was harder and then you went forward and then you started this web and now you know it it uh, continues to show itself differently as time goes on yeah and I know Rebecca mentioned that we have a chapter um, called absence plus time which is really discusses how our grief changes shape uh, over time and how we learn to coexist with it, not get over it, not find closure, but coexist with the loss. Yeah, I, the, the thing I noticed, I've been doing this show about four years, the thing I noticed when I started was that there was a tremendous amount of, the most highlighted feeling I was having a lot was gratitude. Mm-hmm. But the other yeah. things were all still there. But that had taken right. a really prominent yeah. role um, in a way that um, was different, you know, that could only develop to that depth in time yeah. when the Absolutely. initial <laughs> adjusting to life was, was pretty much, um, it had moved. I can totally right. relate to that. Okay. I think that, like, I, I don't know that I really made a very, <laughs> you know, I had a mindful gratitude practice before my mom died. I, I don't, like, I actively didn't. I think I was generally grateful for the good things, but I don't think I realized how lucky I was to have such mm-hmm. wonderful things in my life, wonderful people, wonderful job, wonderful, you know, um, anything. And then my mom died. And like you said, after the initial period during which I surely did not feel grateful, I mean, it was very hard for me to find any sort of gratitude, any scrap of gratitude when I was, you know, (laughs) going out for Mother's Day, you know, walking down the street on Mother's Day and seeing all these people surrounded by mothers. I mean, it just, it felt like everybody had a mother on Mother's Day suddenly. And I didn't. And it was really hard to feel grateful. But here I am years down the line. And of course, this is just my own experience. But I have things right now in my life that I never thought I would have in the deepest, darkest depths of my grief. And those things are, you know, work that is very meaningful to me, that I'm really driven by, that I feel makes a difference and is bringing people together and uses some of my talents to the max. Um, A partner who I truly never thought I would have in my life because I thought I was completely damaged goods (laughs) after losing my parents. I mean, I just didn't know how I was going to re-anchor myself in an intimate way to anybody ever again. And, you know, especially, look, I guess it sounds a little cheesy, but I have these two little kids now. And for me, rediscovering that intimate connection between parent and child, which is something I really never 
thought I would have again because, you know, hearken back to the, I didn't think I'd have a partner who wanted to deal with me. And all of a sudden they have all these things. And of course, everything is, you know, you never know how long anything lasts. And that's the pain and also the gift of grief in some ways. And the gift is because you're highly aware of that. And you really remind yourself that you're really lucky. People who are around you who are healthy, great. You're super lucky. Mm -hmm. You're doing work that Mm -hmm. means a lot to you, great. You are so lucky. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. you're reading the headlines and you aren't a refugee in Syria. You're so, so lucky. And I think that, you know, it just becomes a little bit easier to feel that gratitude when you're contrasting it against, you know, the worst feeling that you've had in your life to date. Yeah, I think I, I, I completely say. agree. And Yeah. Were you going to add something, Gabrielle? Oh, I was just going to add that it's so, like, strange that people, one of the things that feel dismissive that people say to you when soon after after you've lost someone is be grateful for the time you've had with them. But I think what you are both speaking to and what I can really relate to is that gratitude, it really takes it really takes time to develop. Um, and you can only really experience it, experience it with some some distance from the loss. Um, and then what Rebecca said about about really feeling grateful and lucky. We have a wonderful essay in the book by uh, the writer Haley Tanner, and she, she had lost her husband when she was in her late 20s, and she said that seizing the day really isn't about bumper sticker territory anymore. It's about she knows what it's like to have lost someone, and it's, it's, and it's about really seizing the whatever out of each and every day, but she could only know that with distance of time passing. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's we're talking about a timing issue and a intention issue too, because I think often people say, "Be grateful for what you have," or you know those kinds of platitudes right. to right. to try to get you to stop feeling bad. And mm. you've got to feel bad. Uh, there's no way to get, at least for me, no way I could have gotten to gratitude for her and everything that happened between us and my life unless I made room to feel bad. Uh, it kind of all right. goes together for me. Yeah, makes total sense. Rebecca, do you want to share a little bit about your um, your own loss? Sure. Um, Well, in 2006, my mom was killed in a car accident about 45 minutes after I said goodbye to her after a family vacation. That was our annual tradition as a family. We always went camping together in upstate New York. And they had dropped me off at home in New York City where I lived, and they continued on to Philadelphia, which is my hometown. And in between the two cities, there was a terrible car accident, and my mom did not survive. And my dad was in the car with her. And it was an awful time. I am an only child, and it was incredible. It was like isolation on top of isolation, like times a million. I felt so lonely. Not only did I feel like, you know, no one understood what it was like to lose 
my mom as me, but I didn't think anybody else understood what it was like to lose her as a mom. I couldn't talk to a sibling who had also lost her as a mom. It was just so, so sad. And um, my dad was just, you know, emotionally, with regards to talking about my mom, it was so difficult for him because not only was he in the accident with her, but she was just the long-term love of his life. And so it was just lonely for me. I didn't think I could go to him for a lot of support because I didn't want to upset him. Um, and, and it was just tough. I was living in New York City. I was working as a TV producer for the Colbert Report, and I thought that people were open in New York and could talk about anything because this was the city where, like, anything happens. But it turns out that grief is still a topic, even in New York City, even in media, that people don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole or a 100-foot pole. And Yes. And then a few years later, I was, um, it was about three and a half years later, and my dad died. He had a heart attack when he was on a trip abroad. And so I was 34 years old, and I had lost both my parents and and still have lost both my parents. Um, And I, I really had a lot of trouble connecting with groups that had members who I felt I could relate to. Um, a lot of the members of the groups, I tried a couple of groups here in New York, they were, they were on the older side, um, which isn't to say that I didn't have really lovely conversations with them. It is to say that it was hard for me to connect with someone who was presently dealing with, you know, the loss of a parent when they were in their young adulthood. Um, and I really needed to have that type of conversation. I also am a writer and an editor. I went to journalism school at Columbia, and I really connect with experiences through reading about them, reading personal essays. I really enjoy that. And so I was really having trouble online finding media out there that wasn't too clinical or, you know, full of platitudes. Um, or put through really heavy filters, just like with pulled quotes, with soft sunsets going on in the background. Um, what I really wanted to read was just like a really great personal essay, because I also wanted to read good writing, because it was a turnoff not to, to be honest. And, uh, I, you know, and then, and then lastly, I wanted to read good writing that not only talked about the fact that loss is just very messy, nonlinear experience, uh, but also that through the mess of it all, there's a lot of good in it because I was 30 mm-hmm. and I really wanted to know that all the things that I thought, you know, had immediately vanished from my future could still be in my future, that I wasn't always going to feel like I was teetering on the precipice of sanity mm-hmm. um, and wondering mm-hmm. if anybody yes. else was going to join me there. Um, and, feel, and so that's, know, we, you we're know, have, modern loss was born. It was just... I felt like there was a strong need for this, but I wanted to wait until it wasn't during a stage of my deep grief. I didn't want it to be, as Gabby said earlier, absolutely uh, the, the Rebecca and Gabby project. Um, we, I wanted it to be something we're, that we could do very well professionally. Break, Rebecca, we're going to have to cut to break and come back to that, but I think we're on the edge of talking about the concept of modern loss. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I really want to hear how you came up with that since loss is, you know, ancient and modern and, you know, all mm-hmm. time periods. Uh, I Future, think that's yeah. um, 
that's kind of the next step in, in what you're talking about. Um, while we're on the break, listeners, go look for us. You can find me at the host page at Good Grief, and you can find Rebecca Sofer, Gabrielle Berkner, and their, their book, Modern Loss, at modernloss.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you heard of nutritional balancing? Your body's biochemistry affects the mental, physical, and emotional aspects of your life. Many of the diseases we face are related to an imbalance of the mind, body, and spirit. Find out how to get everything back in line when you tune in to Healing Treasures of Wisdom with host Daniel Solomon. Learn how to heal yourself and your family every week. Listen Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Rebecca Sofer and Gabrielle Berkner about their book, Modern Loss, and their, their website, uh, their platform, and um, the community that's developed uh, that out of which the, the book grew. Um, I just want to put in a word before we go forward because I realize I haven't mentioned it, that there are many parts of the book that just had me laughing completely out loud, which I adore. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, my favorite page was the um, the page marked uh, the kind of cartoon page, a brief gu- guide to grief speak, mm-hmm. and I 
I had a hard time picking my favorite definition, but I think it might be dark humor. What makes you laugh now may be appalling to others. Ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. It tickled me. (laughs) But um, we were talking before the break about, uh, Rebecca, you just finding a lack of what, what I might call narrative or story, which is all I could read after my wife died, to be honest. I, I couldn't read um, anything that described grief, you know, any kind of book about the parts of grief or how to approach it. But I could read people's stories, so I really resonate with that. But how did the two of you decide to call it modern loss? Well, I mean, I think the modern, of course, they're all different across the course of history, and now I've done a lot of reading on it. <laughs> um, there are many different expressions of mourning that are more insular and more public um, across cultures. And, you know, in our experiences, is just we've only been alive during the 20th and 21st centuries now, which actually is really creepy when you can put it like that. And we've been alive over two centuries. <laughs> and it's two millennia, really. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, I think that... For us, the modernness is not about the uh, generation of person talking about grief, because here you and I are not the same age, but you completely get what we're doing. You like what we're doing. You just said you liked the terms of grief that we came up with in that cartoon. It's really about the attitude. It's about are you willing and ready to open up this conversation in a way where you feel comfortable letting it all hang out. And I don't mean letting it all hang out in a sensationalistic way where, you know, you're posting on Facebook like every single insular thought that you're having and and over over sharing, but do you feel comfortable talking about loss with the people who you're generally close with and even acquaintances to a certain extent and not feeling embarrassed about it or like the onus is on you to make themselves feel more may com- make them the ones feeling comfortable in the conversation as opposed to you or that you know something's wrong with you because you are experiencing this for us that's what the modernness comes from it's not a generational thing but i do think mm-hmm. that inherently it, it you know generally it is a generational thing um we're trying to break up the homogeneity of mourning practices in this part of the world, which, you know, I think in the modern West has been in general very customary. You, someone dies, you go to the funeral home, you pump their body full of chemicals, you put them in the ground, and you maybe have a wake or have a shiva or whatnot, and you tear your clothes, and you then are expected to move on with your life. And... In essence, pretend like you're okay, really, Uh, and really pretend like you're okay after the first year. And we just want to kind of obliterate that that impression of that's what mourning looks like. That's what loss looks like. It looks like anything and everything under the sun, and and that's why we called it modern loss. Mm, that's that's uh, that resonates with me, but I have to say that um, maybe my memory is is um, a little faulty here. But I really don't. I I felt I had to be a radical to even take a year. 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that that there was yeah. really a, a very strong cultural uh, pressure to be well very quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was I was fortunately saved from that somewhat because I I worked for myself. All my friends after ten years of illness were a little bit more educated. But what I found out there did not support even a year of of um, you know struggling with everything that comes up in loss. So I do feel there's been some change. Um, but I wanted to talk too because I think. The whole nature of um, the internet, social media, obviously that's had an impact on the way you've done what you've done, right? <laughs> when there was no internet, um, your website wouldn't have been there, for instance. Um, right. And I wondered, because my perception is that most of the people in my generation didn't really get on board about loss and grief until they experienced it, but that Mm -hmm. there's a little more, maybe, you can tell me maybe, uh, a little more in your uh, age group uh, that says, um, that's kind of coming out with it, or um, there's a little more willingness uh, that I'm noticing, and I wondered if you think that's true, or if I'm just, you know, being affected by what I do for <laughs> for work. I mean, um, just to, like, I just have a short thought, um, which is that there's a big difference, I think, between these generations, which is our generation is very alone in many ways. We are you know, living, for the most part, far from our families. We are increasingly on devices as young people, as people who are, you know, building careers and are coming home and getting work emails, you know, like there's no real divide between work life and personal life. You don't really have that nucleus. Some were probably less religious than we were several decades ago. Um, so we don't circle around a, a church or a synagogue or some other congregation like we might have. And so in, in some ways it's a lot lonelier. And so Grief is lonelier because you don't have a designated place to go to to experience it, even more in a closed-off way with a smaller community. And so, you know, my opinion is that that's one of the reasons that we're more open to expressing it because we have to. It's just a human need. Yeah. I oh, think that's very yeah, interesting. We, yeah. What do you say, Gabrielle? Oh, no. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with Rebecca. And I just, I think that some of the breaking down of the taboo of talking about grief is living in this culture of sharing. And that, a natural extension of that is sharing the losses in your life around, alongside your happy milestones. And so I do think social media is, plays a role in, in opening up opening people's eyes to that people are in pain and, and, and witnessing that pain um, through throwback photos and, um, you know, just candid posts on a daily basis. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's true with everything that any tool can be used for good or ill, I guess. Right. Um, but I do really appreciate, uh, and of course, I think the algorithms may have figured me out because 
my feed is absolutely filled with um, articles on grief and, you know. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, you know, memoir type, uh, personal essay type articles and that kind of thing. But I think at the same time that uh, since my daughter, who used to be allergic to grief, even though she'd lost parents, um, she now sends me guests and she's seeing their stuff on social media. So mm-hmm. even she, who wasn't looking for it, it, it was popping up. And I think that's got to change the conversation a little bit. Yeah, I mean, social media is is a kind of a, uh, you know, it can be used for good. It can be used to let people know a very efficient way of letting people know in your life that you're suffering and to get like a quick round of support. Um, and, you know, and that can help to some extent. Um, it can also be a major trigger for people, um, full Social media, maybe if you've had a miscarriage, seeing other people's babies, or um, mm. we just got a we just got a pitch uh, yesterday about a woman who was asked to celebrate her best friend's seventh work anniversary, but her friend has been dead for four years. Uh, we have a piece on our website about a woman who gets a reminder from the school district to rem- to enroll her daughter in kindergarten because they had her birthday, but her daughter had died. So. Mm. I feel like there's um, technology and data and social sharing. It can have, um, you know, there are good effects and and unintended ill effects. And, you know, that sort of uh, leads us a little bit into uh, just uh, you you have a whole section on triggers. That's such a big subject, which we're not going to cover today, but uh, just the ways that you can get, I can still get blindsided. Uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was walking down the street. I was behind someone. She just looked like my wife. And there mm-hmm. it was, you know? Yeah. Um, we call it a morning mirage. Yeah. 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 Totally yeah. Earlier, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, I, I want to just take a couple of minutes at the end to kind of let you share where you'd like to see this community go. If you have, I know often when we've completed a vision, there's another one that started, begins to to form itself. Or are you still so um, kind of, uh, your hearts are so in this moment with this book coming out that you don't have a picture of the next place you'd like to go? No, there's a very clear picture. I mean, Modern Loss is not just a website. It's not just a book. I mean, I'm like, you know, have had my hands in many projects for Modern Loss for the last four years. We have done in-person events. We have done speaking. Um, we are, that Modern Loss is going to be having its first retreat at Kripalu, which is a wellness center in the um, southwestern Massachusetts later this summer in August. Um, there are a lot of other projects that we are working on, uh, both getting people together in real life and also products online um, and, you know, in your hands, tangible products. So we just see this book as something that is going to bring the conversation to a much broader audience than the one we've reached online, which has actually been really a lot broader than we could have ever imagined. That's a great place to leave people, to go and look for you and all the stuff you're doing because um, 
I'm sure that the the workshops and all are just going to be totally fantastic. So keep keep me posted about them so I can let people know. Thanks for being with me. Okay. Thank oh, you so much for having thank us. Thank you. Next week I'll have Nisha Zenoff to talk about her book, The Unspeakable Loss, a collection of wisdom she gained after the death of her son right before he turned 18. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.